Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. This is a DLF podcast. This week we're talking to Skylar at the FF Buffalo, who is co-owner of JWB underscore FF, making fantasy content for fantasy folks, basically. And really enjoyed having Skylar on and talking about his process as best I could, as best I know how. Um, I found our values or our understanding of where values are kind of wild, actually. Um, we didn't talk about it much on the show, but Brown, even to Jahan Dotson. Um, it's really interesting to talk to someone who seems to operate uh, primarily from a keep trade cut value perspective um, in a different area of the space. I uh, really appreciate Skylar coming on, talking about rookie tight ends, what to do with Marcus Brown now DeAndre Hopkins is gone, and how to read that situation, and just generally how, how to play Dynasty. And uh, let me know what you think of the episode. Thanks very much. Um, all right, so Skylar at the FF Buffalo, how do you play Dynasty? Just off the top of your head, just answer that real quick, simple question for me. Yeah, so Dynasty for me, um, it is it's a very fun and interesting game. It's much different to re- redraft in that I have more detailed breakdowns of my roster. I'm not going to get too in the weeds with startup strategies today, but generally speaking, I would say for Dynasty, uh, I think breaking down your roster and understanding where you are in your win cycle, where your team is at, um, all the different scenarios your team could play through and lining up. It doesn't have to be too rigid, but a plan A, a plan B, and you know, past that we can we can go from there. So essentially make a plan and execute it. Is that, is that the gist? Yeah, yeah. If you would like, I mean, I can go into detail exactly about how I break rosters down and you know, my process for that, if that's a direction you'd like to go. Well, I'd love to, but, um, yeah, I guess so. If you're just gonna, I mean, the first step is assess a roster, but I mean, in most dynasty leagues, you start with a startup draft. So I was wondering if you had any insight in how you try to start a league, literally, do you typically focus a strategy or is it cool? Yeah. So if you want to talk specifically getting into your league, I think the very first thing, especially for a lot of listeners who might be new to dynasty, is finding the correct league and you know there's a lot of great places to do that i'm sure through you know peter and your community there's ways to get into leagues and through dlf or you know like us over here at jwb and our discord we host a lot of sites for managers your first step is finding a league uh that you can have confidence in that's going to stick around because you know a big part of me in the way a tackle startup it involves a league that's going to last you know at least three years plus and you don't always have that guarantee when it's with, with a bunch of strangers and I always tell people you need a structured way to hold your league dues. You need bylaws that are posted for your league that are very descriptive exactly how. So when later on when managers are asking in league chat, you know, how do we do X, Y, Z? It's all right there for them. It's all in the bylaws. Everything is scripted out. But then, you know, moving forward, you actually get in a league. You've paid your dues. Everyone's on the same page. The biggest note I'd say for the startup is I don't tend to be overly aggressive in attacking a win now window a lot of managers especially newer players they get really ambitious you know and at times there's names that they really love perhaps stefan Diggs is your favorite player and you know you get there in the mid second and you just feel like oh if i wait longer he's not going to be there maybe you trade up a lot of managers assume that they're going to be in a win window immediately and they'll move off of their draft capital right away and these are some of the things i always tell players who are new to hold on to your future first at least through your first startup and, you know, I wouldn't be trading up in too many spots. A big 
note we try to make when manners are trading up is to set tiers before you go into your draft, really bucket exactly where you personally value players positionally. And then you can attack those tiers throughout the draft. If you do see, you know, three names left in what you consider a big value gap and you're five picks away, it's more worth it to try to see if you can use a little to move up into those spots and pick up, you know, what you see as a completely different tiered asset versus sitting and waiting, um, you know, and getting a player that has less value there later. Um, generally, we're attacking players, of course, who will accrue in value after your startup. But, you know, it's not it's not all about that. I generally think trading back, again, understanding your tiers, um, I honestly don't even usually keep a, a round one player in my startup. I think at any any time when you can accumulate multiple picks in the rounds, kind of two through five, pick up a couple firsts for the following season, you're going to be in really good shape. Um, and I, I'm not as hesitant in existing leagues uh, to move off to the top names directly following the startup. That being, if I get an offer around three firsts for just about any player off the startup, it's almost an auto decision. I'm just kind of, accumulating assets and working from there when you have a lot more to work with you're a lot more flexible after your startup draft awesome uh, a lot of good advice in there i think i think probably one of the most underrated aspects is to pick your league right get in getting in a good league depending on what you want i think we talk about uh, overall strategy win now or not win now uh, in too much of a vacuum sometimes i mean in a lot of leagues it's a really good idea to go win now in a lot of leagues it's not a really good idea to go win now so, so your league mates the stakes who's in it matters a lot so but already there, there's some terms here like value and and uh, making sure you have stuff to deal later i think picks are both over and underrated to your point uh, don't trade your first probably is a good generic piece of advice mostly yeah probably probably not a good idea to trade your first early at least right now if you're joining a startup is there anything going on in adp or in your leagues or in your experience that you think is particularly interesting or different that people should be aware of if they're doing a startup or about or thinking about doing a startup like something about the time we're at or the nfl in its current iteration is there anything like that going on yeah, sure. So, you know, to hit your point where you said that people might hyper focus on the quote win now or rebuild, especially coming off this to say to pick up value or try to add extra picks doesn't necessarily mean you don't, you don't have to be win now. If we look at a player like Stefan Diggs that I mentioned in the second versus a player like Devonte Adams, who's often in super flex startup drafts moving to the back of the fourth or even to the fifth round. I don't think that the, the gap between these two players is significant enough to warrant that gap in ADP. And that's why I say understand your tiers and don't be afraid to move back because you really can. And I had a draft, my only official startup I did this offseason, where a lot of these veterans at this point in the season do seem to slip a lot. Um, that might change as we get closer to redraft season when people see projections and actual numbers next to these players' names. But some of these players, like a Devontae Adams or a Cooper Cup, they can be really affordable in some of your startup drafts as well as... Do you think that matters veterans. a lot? Sorry, not to interrupt you, but yeah. um, time of year. Because, you know, values and what people are interested in change. So does that yeah. does that weigh on your decisions a lot? Um, it's yes and no. Really, each draft, I think, is very different, right? And there's there are some Fair drafts now where all the rookies go much higher than they would have a few months ago. And if you did before the NFL draft, maybe you're drafting kickers as a placeholder to do your rookie draft later on in those drafts, sometimes early 
in the off season, you know, those draft picks, they really do slide a lot more. And you know, you're going to immediately get the value accrual because after the NFL draft, managers are going to be really excited about some of these players. And you might've picked up those picks beforehand. So I think it really comes down. Yes. What time of the year it is, but also just draft to draft because not every league is the same. I think it's really important to learn your league mates. When I have a startup draft, I'll be in the DMS of Every manager, these, this is for when you don't know them. Maybe they're not your best friends. It's different if you know your best friends. But if you're playing with right. people you met on the internet, which I think is probably the majority of people who are here listening, um, learn your league mates. I mean, the DMs, just general thoughts. Like, hey, what, what do you think about moving back in drafts? What do you think about moving up? And you just are checking boxes. You know, you might send some offers that might not even be the greatest, but you get to learn how they react to these, to these offers you give. Are they dismissal or dismissive? Do they tell you to screw off? Do they send you a counter? Is there a dialogue or is it straight reject? All these notes are really important. I actually keep a notepad, or at least I used to when it was with a lot of managers I didn't know, where I just note down general player tendencies. I'd note down their trade style, kind of what I just mentioned. Uh, if they ever send like a screenshot of a trade calculator or you get a package that seems to have a lot of small pieces and you're like, let me go test this out and put it in, you know, maybe a popular calculator like Trade Calculator or uh, or DTC or KTC Keep Trade Cut, and it lines up. I'm gonna put my notes. They utilize this calculator because that could be something mm. I use in the future when I'm approaching them for a trade. Do they have my guys? Have you seen their Twitter and see maybe they're really excited for players? Do they approach the draft more as a redraft player or are they an Aegis where they prioritize youth to veteran production? And the last note I kind of have for studying your league mates is. What content do they consume? If you know that they're listening to the Dynasty Crossroads podcast and you know that Peter's been very excited about a certain player and has talked about him on the show, that could potentially be a player if he's on your roster that you want to pitch to this manager. So just general league notes uh, or general notes about your league mates, I think can go a long way. And people don't always take that time. I think it's a really small edge, but it does become beneficial down the line. Are you aware of someone called Leo, uh, Leo Segura? He's a no. DLS senior writer. He's been talking okay. about the notebook he makes for leagues for years. And I was wondering, that yeah. came up that independently. That's awesome. But no, he and Zach Reed are a big advocate for getting to know your league mates, the psychology of your league mates almost. And it, yeah, it's definitely an interesting aspect. of it. I also like your idea of having ranks or having tiers. Going through that exercise can teach you a lot. At least it gives you a good understanding of where you're at in the draft. If you've made rankings when you do a startup draft, you're pretty comfortable with who you're looking for. You know, not all ADP on sites listed accurately. So you know when a player is missing, for example, at least if he's on your list and you can't find him. To that point and to a lot of the things that you've been talking about, I think it's a little underrated that going for value is trying to win now because value correlates to points. I mean, that's that that's one of the strongest signals two points in the future so you're not necessarily trying to not win and um, if you're going for value although there are strategies like progressive struggle which almost well specifically try to tank in year one how do you make those lists is there i know that's another big question but and um, what do you look for i'm i'm a fan of saying you know players on good career arcs, not good ages. So just because you're 24 doesn't mean I'm more interested. But if you're 25 and you've had two top 24 seasons, that's value. That's a young player who's probably going to keep doing that. Um, and focusing players on good arcs rather than players at good ages is one of the ways I start to make um, my understanding of how I value players um, in a startup or even in trades. Um, do you have anything that helps you or guides you to make those tiers to value players similarly or dissimilarly? Yeah, I don't need to go too into depth. I'll give it from the perspective of just what any dynasty player can do when they're tackling 
specifically making player tiers. And I always say positionally, as opposed to just making a big board and trying to draw some lines. When you're going position to position, we'll use like wide receivers as an example. Um, You're really just trying to look at the discrepancies between immediate production, kind of that age, as well as a little bit of your own projection. An overlooked aspect for me as well. I keep to about a a third of the um, what goes into my dynasty ring is also where the market is out on these players. Cause I don't always ever want to be in dynasty way over on a player or way under. So I do actually incorporate that roughly about a third of my process. Um, a third of it is probably roughly where I project uh, movement between these players and their values over the coming years. Wow. I n- only ever look between maybe that two, sometimes push it the three-year window for these players when I am evaluating there. And then the other third is what production are we getting from this player? Devontae Adams is a player I've already brought up, but if we expect Devontae Adams for the next two seasons to be a wide receiver one, he really shouldn't be pushed down in your rankings to where people have him as a low-end wide receiver two. This is still a very valuable player. Tyreek Hill is a player this offseason that I think has been a big overcorrection to use as another example where if we're looking at that two- to three-year window, which brings him to that 2025-2026 season where he said, well, maybe I'm going to think twice about my career. Well, up to that point, the expectation would be that Tyreek Hill is a wide receiver one most likely, you know, without, of course, injury or anything like that, significant team level regression or, you know, maybe quarterback disaster. We would just awesome. as a player for me, I'm still looking at a two to three year window. He's right. Got to be right at that wide receiver one mark for me and manners who push a player like that down too much. I think it's an overcorrection. So the age is a very important factor with when, you know, you have a player like, you know, Devonta Smith perform as a wide receiver three a wide receiver one last year for his first two years in the league that's very predictive of what he has you know in his range of outcomes for the future age is still on his side and all the peripherals as far as you know film analytics it all adds up so this is a player we're very excited about so you can be in on these young guys but i'm not overemphasizing unproven youth before these veterans at the top level that i am very confident are going to still produce in the short term. For example, Tyreek Hill could be wide receiver 24 if there's 23 other proven young wide receivers above him. It's really hard to argue with that, but there's probably not that many. There's maybe eight, maybe nine. And in season when there are points being scored, he's going to have that value, even if it's going to dip a little bit as the off seasons roll by because of his age. And so he's probably underranked by some because of his age, but we still don't know that drop's coming, at least in value, if not in points. And so you kind of have to adjust for that. And speaking of which, what do you think of as proven? Like I typically use, like I say, top 12, top 24, which are clearly imprecise and imperfect ways of defining a player. Like Tyreek Kill is a top 12 player. Well, yeah, he's also a top three player some years, Pete. And he's a little bit different than uh, Devontae Smith, even when he was a top 12 player last year. Tyreek Hill is a bigger difference maker, but it gives me some kind of idea of what to expect. For example, mm-hmm. having Tyreek Kill over under DJ Moore would be a mistake because I think we've seen DJ Moore ceiling despite the situation change and Tyreek Hill's probably going to outscore him for at least a couple years and and so Tyreek Hill over DJ Moore and those like him and is there something that you used to like what is proven what is not proven like last year we had great rookies we had Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson finishing in the top 24 Chris Jim Watson finishing in the top 36 but with high touchdown 
potential? Is there some way you kind of navigate what's proven, what's not versus something else? Yeah, so I think it differs at the top end versus, you know, a little bit lower. I think Christian Watson as a player, so it's a little bit more to prove. When we look at Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Drake London and compare what they showed us in the rookie seasons between all the peripherals and, you know, points per game. And, you know, team target shares. And th- these three were exceptional. These examples so are, many stats. Def- <laughs> definitely, so many. are definitely outliers. But for these three, when you look at what they did as a rookie and you look back historically, not everybody, you know, perhaps has a database. And there's a lot of great people you can follow to kind of go in and check where these players align historically. But wide receivers who finish and perform the way that like a Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson did in the rookie season tend to have very optimal uh, career outlooks within, especially within their first three seasons. And for these young players, first two to three seasons are really predictive of their long-term stability. There's other wide receivers, sure, who will have pop-up seasons. But if you break out, let's say year three, you know, maybe year four, potentially even year two, I don't put as much confidence into that Hmm. proven production as I do for a player who comes in. And the first two years are, let's say, top 24, the mark you like to use there. I have a lot more confidence when we see that from a player. You know, even everything we've seen since has shown that his production's proven. This is a player who we should expect come in year over year and be, you know, a, an important key producer for your fantasy team. What is when we see that from them? Like I said, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, very different seasons, both positive, I think, and we can point to their yards total or their rank or whatever. Is there anything particular you search for? Because, you know, not everyone does what Jalen Waddle and uh, Jamar Chase or even Christian Watson did in their rookie season, and then they go on to do well. Uh, Devontae Adams notoriously took some years, and Chris Godwin had a terrible first rookie season. So is there something you keep an eye on? Not particularly, yes. It doesn't have to be it stat again not everyone's an idiot like me well to start with Devonte adams first off he was a day two wide receiver early day two of course but he also was an outlier the way he broke out it's it's it whenever you see Devonte adams as a comparable in a young player's range of outcomes it's not a good thing that's not a compliment it's a rare one yeah yeah he's the best case scenario within their range of outcomes but um you know for these other players just the expectation with them coming into the league, I think weighs into it too. There's a big difference when you brought up Chris Godwin failing his first season, he was also a little further in his draft as a day two wide receiver. So we have different expectations. So I'm not going to compare those two players to someone like a Garrett Wilson or a Drake London. I mean, Drake London was the eighth overall pick in the NFL. Jalen Wada was the sixth overall pick in the NFL draft. Jamar Chase what, number four. I mean, these draft these capitals are really solid, yeah, reliable. It, but, it um, is, but more so to your point, at the, Sky Moore, at the top. Draft capital, poor well, season, right? There's a big difference, I think, at the top, right? These wide okay. receivers who go, especially in the early, you know, the first half of the first right, round, right. the hit rates are much more impressive. Of course, you're going to have a Corey Davis sprinkled in there. Um, hmm. But when they are drafted that high and then they really show us something in that rookie season, it, it matters a lot for me. It really does. Yeah. Marks I look at, if you do just want like a generic number, I'm a big fan of team target share. I, I only ask because like they can't quiz you every time. We can't quiz you every time we're wondering. Like you're on the clock. George Pickens is there. What do I, how do I start to form an opinion? Obviously people yeah. have their own methods, but there are yeah, all sorts of can, different narratives. And if you, you want to use George Pickens as an example, I think this was a first okay. round talent who had, you know, certain question marks between motor injury, uh, a bunch of things that weighed into why he fell into day two. I think it was a very good pick there for the Pittsburgh series. He's a wide receiver showed a lot of promise and his rookie year was really 
all over the place. We want to use him as an example. What do we do with George Pickens? Well, (laughs) the first half of the season, that Pittsburgh offense couldn't do anything. I mean, it was a bottom half offense in the NFL, uh, even worse than that. Really couldn't get things going. But the second half of the year, in terms of efficiency, this team really took a step up, and it did improve in a lot of ways. And a lot of the peripherals for George Pickens did get a lot better. He was effective when he was out there. Um, The problems I had with him, particularly, again, that team target share is really important to me because I think it's very indicative, especially early on, of how these wide receivers fare against NFL talent, how they can separate an elite level. I think volume is really predictive of long-term success. Of course, there's outliers with touchdown upside, um, you know, dot yards per target, a couple of these different things. But generally speaking, wide receivers who get – somewhere between 24% or higher team target share tend to finish as a top 24 wide receiver much more often than not. So it's a really important mark for me. When you see a player like Drake London come in and grab 29% as a rookie, it's impressive. I know, again, he wasn't competing with a whole lot of guys, and he was closer to 25% when Kyle Pitts was there, and he really elevated when he went out. But that's still incredibly impressive. I think that's really indicative of what he can do moving forward, where George Pickens kind of was closer to like 16% team target share, and he didn't even break into the 20% as far as involvement after Chase Claypool left the team, which you would have thought was a very good opportunity for him. I still think George Pickens has a lot of traits that you can't just work on. He just is... A very physically give, gifted player, and I think in his range of outcomes, he could still be, he could still level up and be a very good player. But for right now, he's not completely polished in his route tree. He's not an elite target earner. He was a little inconsistent at times, um, and I, I think he could have some wide receiver two or three seasons in his career. But right now, I wouldn't expect him to be a true difference maker, which pushes him down a couple tiers from where I have other young players uh, at right. this point in time. No, um, again, you're putting context and draft capital together and just trying to get a feel for how it went in that situation. I think that's a really good way of saying it. Um, as a default, I always point out like ADP is trying to, it's a group trying to work through that process. And even if, to your point, not everyone has a database, although, you know, they can have mine. And they, even the ones behind the paywall, like a dollar, I feel like that's pretty good. But not everyone plays, not everyone enjoys that. Not everyone wants to look at data. So just looking at DLF ADP or even fantasy pros, I've just noticed they've recently put out like a free section on their website with their free account. And you can see like ADP from various different sources. And that's a whole bunch of people trying to pass through it. And when you look back at the history, Devontae Adams looks a lot like a lot of busts in his first year. And so does Chris Godwin. But their ADPs didn't slip nearly enough because everyone's running this process that you and I are talking about, about taking into account the draft capital and the context. And so, again, it's not perfect, but as a quick reference for where everyone else is i I think that's a solid guide if that's wide receivers and honestly because i'm a a little bit of a nerd i spend way too long talking about wide receivers right now running backs uh pretty much the big issue actually i think tight end is pretty much the story of right now between uh kyle pitts and this tight end class being really hot are you into rookies do you want to talk about those a little bit or just tight end we spend we spent four months working on rookies nice. over to be up to the draft. So if you want to talk rookies, we can talk rookies. Where you're at, what does this rookie class look like? What do you expect from a rookie in 2023? I mean, rookie tight ends, do they do a lot? Yeah, if we want to talk to rookie tight ends, I mean, it's very cliche and generic to just say our expectations are tempered early on in these players' careers. But it's completely right, true. Right, right. I, I think there's it's cliche and it's everyone's saying it because there is some merit to it. Of course, Uh, it's a lot tougher to predict exactly how these tight ends are going to break out. If you go back and look at, 
you know, the mid 2010s and try to look at every class. What was the best tight end to come out of the class for fantasy? You're going to be very surprised to see where a lot of these guys were drafted, how they, Mm -hmm. a lot of these guys didn't even play tight end coming out. So it isn't always as predictive, but we do like these athletic tight ends and this class is full of them. I think there's a long way to go for this specifically, this tight end class to get better at football and to really prove that they can um, be involved in the passing game, you know, at a level that has fantasy relevance. So there is, there's a little bit uh, of way to go. And I always just caution managers to not overemphasize the reach for any of these players in their draft. A player like, again, in our rankings, we might have in Superflex rankings, Dalton Kincaid right at the 110, which right. I don't have a problem with if you're forced to take the picks. But when you look at the players, you can trade the 110 for and how I value those types of assets versus, again, a rookie tight end where, the opportunity is great. The situation's great. Uh, the way he plays and the way he could fit into that offense, great. I'm not taking that away from Dalton Kincaid. We like the player. But when we just look at exactly what he is versus where he goes in the draft, that 110 can be moved for, again, a player you mentioned, like a Chris Godwin, uh, Marquise Brown, uh, to a lesser extent, a Deontay Johnson, a Jahan Dotson. Uh, even if you like George Pickens, these players can all be acquired for that 110. And right now, while managers are shooting Dalton Kincaid up to potentially tight at five, six in their rankings, I think that's a really good value point. And so, you know, that's kind of where I'm leaning here. If you can get Sam Laporta at the 212 yeah, uh, versus yeah, right. using the 110 and Dalton Kincaid, or you're getting Michael Mayer, who might be the safest tight end we've seen in, in years, and he's in a really good situation there in Vegas to soak up targets. He might not be as exciting, but when you're getting him at the 205, uh, again, it's there There are different bets I like to get, and that's when you're playing the ADP game. It's not against a player like Dalton Kincaid, but that's just my general notes on like rookie tight ends and how yeah. I'm playing it out. Yeah, May is like the tight end snooze button in terms of profile. He just he did all the things. He did all the things that he should have done, which is great. And it doesn't mean he's going to be boring to watch or anything. It's just it's he hard a to little... get hyped about. Yeah, that's that's good. He is boring to watch. <laughs> if, you go, if you go back, and oh, he a, is? Lot of people, okay. a lot of people's film these days is they look up YouTube highlights. And if you click on YouTube highlights for, for – uh, Michael Mayer, you're going to be very underwhelmed. And that's what oh, a lot okay. of people get excited for. Where Dalton <laughs> Kincaid, this is a player that's popping off the page. He's making big right, plays right, like right. a wide receiver. He's celebrating like a wide receiver. And, you know, there is something to that. We look When we look at these tight ends, we want guys who can, who can make big plays so when they're in situations that aren't ideal, they can give you good fantasy performances without significant volume. And then if it was an ideal situation, that volume could really blow them up to league winner status. And Don Kincaid, as much as any prospect, has the ability to make that 30-plus yard play. Last year, there were only two tight ends who made multiple 30-plus yard plays. They were George Kittle and Chigga Conquo. So, mm. you know, and that's why a player George Kittle has had value throughout his career. It's just that big play ability, which comes through athleticism, yak, and, of course, you know, his utilization. I was going to say, um, to your point about the best tight ends not being first drafted, like the hit rates at tight end are always better than at wide receiver and almost as good as running back. Like first round tight ends in the NFL draft hit really often for top 12 seasons, but top 12 seasons don't matter a lot to fantasy. And some of those are Eric Ebron, mm-hmm. um, Evan Ingram took a few Evan years Ingram. to become relevant again after his sure. rookie year. Um, and yet when you look at Kelsey, um, even Darren Waller and Rob Gronkowski, Jimmy Graham, none of them were drafted in the first round. Um, and they all looked a little 
weird. There's a little weirdness to the best tight ends because it's such a small group that actually matter. And so, you know, sometimes peering for the cheaper guy is actually the better move. I like that in general. If I'm going to make a last note on rookie tight ends, the way I love to attack the position, especially with these athletic guys, these late round guys, is I love to load up with between the fourth round and my undrafted rookies. I love to load up and throw them on taxi. For you guys who have taxi spots on your team, let's say you get four spots. My problem with putting a lot of these rookie running backs on there, or maybe rookie quarterbacks is those players are more contingent value assets. They are only going to have value to your team early on. If there's an injury ahead of them. And when there's an injury ahead of these players, you want to put them into your lineup or you want to <laughs> trade them to someone who needs those positions in order to do that. You have to take them off of your taxi squad, which burns a roster spot. Uh, we don't want to do that. We want to better utilize our bench, especially with you guys who might have shorter benches and those roster spots really do matter. The opportunity cost of it. When we, Take these late tight ends, these these guys who were undrafted in your rookie drafts, or they were just little lesser prospects. Like last year, names I was taking very late was you know Chiga Conquo, uh, Greg Dulcich, Daniel Bellinger. When you take these players and you put them on your taxi squad, if they do hit right, there were some weeks where streaming Chiga Conquo was fine last year. You don't need to take them off your taxi squad. These tight ends, I assume you have a couple more in your roster that can be rotated as far as streaming options. And you can just leave those players through their entire rookie season on your taxi and you get to save those roster spots. So that's how I love to tackle the tight end position because you go from nobody, a couple late stabs, and every couple of years, if you have one that hits, you can either then take that player, like a Chig Conquer right now, if somebody's willing to pay up, you can take it and trade it for an asset that I think is more stable or you can just roll the dice and see, as I said, he's got that big playability. He's in an offense where if he steps up, he could really capture a good team target share. It looks like on paper right now, he's the second option. And you can just roll the dice and see what you have there. And potentially that's how you end up with a Darren Waller, right? When his situation really broke out, his cost of entry was next to nothing. And it, it really panned out other, other tight ends, even Logan Thomas a year. These players were free at a point. Uh, even a George Kittle cost you next to nothing when he was you know, a rookie. He was a fourth round rookie draft pick type player for you as well. And if you had stashed him, it really worked out. And to the contrary of that, if I am stashing these players, I'm always willing if the price is right to, to pay up for a player, like getting a Mark Andrews on your team. It's a cornerstone asset. It's an identity of my team. I'm once I have Mark Andrews, I'm not thinking about the position past these dart throws. I'm not going to pay up for a mid guy. I'm not going to be spending 110 on Kincaid. I'm not going to be shooting a second round pick for a player like Chica Conquo. If I have a Mark Andrews, you know, I'm going to, then I can just relax in the position. That is an identity part of my team. And then I can pick up all these cheaper free tight ends later on that could potentially turn into either trade assets or depth. So that's how I love to tackle tight end. I either pay up or I'm grabbing what's free. Uh, there are, of course, some exceptions. Like I don't hate Laporta's profile or Chig's profile. If you're getting them for roughly something like 210 to 303 and Dynasty Superflex rookie drafts. I think that's a fine price to pay for their profile. Speaking of tiers and rookies and tight ends, you talked about trading the depth of this first round class, the first round in rookie drafts for proven veterans, basically. I, I love that idea, especially on a team that's competitive or at least pretty decent. You don't have to be the best team in the league, but solid process. Um, where's the line for you? Like, what are the tiers in this class? Where does Chris Godwin and some of these veterans stop being interesting because of the upside potential of these sure. young rookies? Sure. I don't, first off, I will know, I don't hate anybody. If somebody wants to play into the variance, the range of outcomes for play, like a Quentin Johnson, we look at his profile, you think, well, if he learns how to 
concentrate and get catches in before, you know, before he tries to run with it. He really high points the ball. He learns, he polishes more his routes. If you want to take the route on a play like that, who could be, you know, uh, end of your bench guy in two years, or he could be a staple wide receiver. I don't have a problem with that. And fantasy is meant to be fun. So before I'm always saying trade these picks, I do just want to say that out there. But if, to answer your question about these tiers in Superflex, which is primarily what I play for Dynasty, I do draw that line this year for players that I value significantly higher than the rest, right at that 106 mark. So you have your three quarterbacks, obviously Bijan one, then Gibbs later on and, Jay, and Jackson Smith and Jigbo later on. And this next group of wide receivers, I do really like Jordan Addison. I haven't pushed a little higher than the rest, but Quentin Johnson, Zay Flowers. The important part of tiers, when you go through and you actually rank what these wide receivers offer you, they fall right in line with that whole group of wide receivers I mentioned earlier, the, you know, behind for me, the Jahan Dotsons, even a Christian Watson that you have brought up or Chris Godwin's Marquise Browns. If you look at Zay Flowers as a player, if he ended up performing at a level like Deontay Johnson, where he just eats up targets, he has 25%. Deontay Johnson's had over 24% team target share since basically halfway through 2019, which obviously gives some bit of a floor. Last year, if people want to overemphasize it, if a team's going to have 12 touchdowns and 14 interceptions from their quarterbacks, you're never going to produce great for fantasy. The whole offense studded based on just where that offense was last year, and that's an outlier. But if we look at a player like Zay Flowers, you'd be happy if he turned into the type of player Deontay Johnson is. But everyone loves this new shiny toy for Quentin Johnson or Zay Flowers. Deontay Johnson's seen a way behind. In a lot of your drafts, I think you can move that 108, 109 pick. Go pick up Deontay Johnson and a second. And those are the moves I love. When I say we're trading off these for proven veterans, it doesn't have to be a like-for-like like switch. I do prefer Chris Godwin. That works here as well. And Howard Brown, Chris Godwin and Hollywood Brown have been two players that JW have just been pounding the drum for since January. But for these types of players, I think it's very safe to pick up a Hollywood Brown or Deontay Johnson. And you get that second on top of it, which is a very useful piece for me. When we it's become popular to fade running backs in dynasty fantasy football recently. But I will say in season, there is not a cheaper position to fill in your lineup than your RB two spot. And that second round pick, it can be used to fill different gaps and potentially that RB two gap potentially help to tear up to something or potentially you can sit on it and it's extra fuel for the next falling off season. If all things worked out for you, you just picked up an extra pick. So it's a really good process move for me. When you look at your tiers and you place these rookies realistically to a medium outcome within your tiers, and then you just, you move off of them for players you have right next to them and you get to pick up a second on top. I think it's great. Players get really, really bored of these age 26 to 28 wide receivers. And that's where that Hollywood, Deontay, Chris Godwin, they're all in that age bracket. They still have two to three years where we can expect them to be potentially not key producers, but they're at minimum support assets. They're great depth. They're great flex players. They're good wide receiver threes. And they could always be better than that. I, I truthfully do believe. So that's a way I like to approach these rookie picks. You don't have to make the selection. We've always liked Marcus Brown around here. First, he was an anti-BMI take, much like Devontae Smith. Um, and then he's just been perpetually undervalued, like Tyler Lockett, um, kind of a bracket. But before I go, I was going to get you out of here. And then I, right now, everyone's talking Marcus Brown up because DeAndre Hopkins got dropped, traded, cut, one of the others. Um and I can't help thinking that's a worse situation, especially on a team where the star quarterback might not be playing for most of the year. I think it's a bad, even though I'm a big fan of Marcus Brown and his consistent value, if he's rising in value, I think that's a negative thing. 
in that suddenly it becomes more of a sell? Like, how are you reading that situation right now with the loss of DeAndre Hopkins and the questions around Kyler Murray? Marcus Brown is still a great buy at his price because of who he is, but I don't know I have the highest expectations for him in 2023 right now. And where are you at in that situation? How do you go about getting that? Yeah, I will say the first note I'll have with Marquise Hellebrown, he should not be trending today. You should not be saying he's a buy now. You shouldn't be saying, right. well, look at the situation now. Really, the writing was on the wall for the DeAndre Hopkins situation. This was a, been a talking point with him there for three to four months. If you believed Marquise Howard Brown would have had a value bump or was a very out valuable asset if DeAndre Hopkins were to leave town, you should have been buying the entire offseason. That's the first note I'll make. But then to your to your point for 2023, I think I would expect him to be potentially a little slower. But this is still a player who I expect now to get 24, 25% plus of the team target share. And that could still offer a wide receiver three or four, I think at worst floor, even if that team isn't scoring touchdowns, just based on volume. Um, so I'm not as scared off in the short term. It may not be a great outlook, but I think it's short-sighted to just devalue the player, you know, a full round or two in ADP simply because of what we expect to be, what, an eight to 10 week outlook for him. Uh, long term, he's 26 years old. This is still a player that I think is going to be fantastic. He, the first half of the seasons with Lamar and Kyler, respectively, uh, before each of them got injured, he was performing at a wide receiver one level. I don't quite put him up at, at that mark, but it just shows you like this is a player who's capable of performing at that level, and you're buying in at wide receiver three prices. I mean, there's a lot of ways to abuse keep trade cut, and we don't use it as gospel, <laughs> but a lot of new players use it as a general base. He's like wide receiver 35 there still. I mean, him as a yeah. fringe wide receiver three, I'm still all over that. That's like round seven of Superflex startup drafts. I love that price. I'll, I'll be auto-selecting him in the seventh round probably every time. Yeah, he was cheap because he was cheap. Um, if he rises in value, might get to at value, to be fair. But I, I still think it's interesting the way people va- think a situation getting worse is positive for a player. And I'm like, I, I don't know. It's it's not. I, I prefer focusing talent, but at the same time, like DeAndre Hopkins leaving makes a team worse, and I think that's worse. Prior, I don't. I don't think a lot has changed. Like if we want to use a player who also had some injuries, we look at a player like Jahan Dotson when he was coming in. Mm. First off, as a first round pick, and you. I, I love the draft capital. People were overacting at the landing spot. We love the talent here, Jamie. We had him as our 107 last year, um, right after Chris Olave. And I'm, that looks great in hindsight. We had him right inside our top 30 wide receivers right off the bat from the second we inserted the rookies last year. And right now, he's a very popular name. People are pushing him into the top 20 wide receivers. And for Jahan Dotson, for us, nothing has changed between this year and last year. We, we still think very similar as him as a player, uh, what he has to offer. And we still have him ranked in the mid-20s as far as wide receivers. We really haven't pushed him up significantly. He performed kind of at our expectation. It wasn't exceptional, but there was a lot to hang your hat on. Of course, there were the injury concerns. Um, with with a player, Jahan Dotson, I'm just using him as an example where he shouldn't have this meteoric rise in ADP when there really has been nothing to justify it. And if you are going to use a player like Hollywood Brown after a move like this, where the situation on the team level potentially got worse, and now you're elevating him, I think you're just a little too reactive. We should have been evaluating the situation just like a Jahan earlier and really have things changed more than what we originally had thought. And if they haven't, your rankings of these players really should not move. 
And that actually segues probably pretty nicely. A question I try and get a lot of people out on. What's one player or one move you're trying to make in Dynasty in general heading into 2023? Now, we've had people name entire positions or entire strategies or even um, whether it's a good building or competing year. Um, and a lot of people just have favorite players. Like, I don't want to leave a draft with John, without Jahan Dotson. I want to make a trade offer on Jahan Dotson in every league. Is there something like that that you would, if you have one league, you would be trying to make that move, essentially? Yeah, we'll stick on wide receivers. The first thing for for me, I don't ever try to hyper-focus on, I have to buy X player. I think you're locking right, right. yourself That's into good. a poor process. For me, two notes I'll say. If you set your tiers and you have a group of wide receivers, and I think it's very open from like wide receiver 19, potential all the way back to like wide receiver 29 or 30, there's not much separation there for me. And if someone in your league says, I have to leave this draft with Jahan Dotson, I have to leave this draft with DJ Moore, or I have to go buy these players. Well, if you have DJ Moore on your team and they have a Hollywood Brown and they're willing to, again, give you a second round pick or maybe even swap a first and a second to make that par- to what to me is a parallel those are winning moves. That's where I feel like you're staying within the same asset tier, but you're just picking up extra capital, which is something you can use in the future to help you explore whatever you need for your team. And the other thing within wide receivers, there's a lot of variance year to year at that fringe wide receiver one mark. And for any of these tier two B guys to like tier three, a, this is kind of like weird middle ground here. If the perception is seen more significant than it probably is. Let's say a Chris Olave to like a Drake London. If managers in your league see the difference between these two players as significant, it's always worth exploring to go down. If somebody's going to give you a first round pick to move off that wide receiver, I'm doing it in a heartbeat. And, you know, I'll use T Higgins as a great example. Players love T Higgins uh, and rightfully so. He's a very safe player. I think he's got a lot of wide receiver two seasons in his career with injuries. He can always finish as a little wide receiver one, but somebody like, a Jerry Judy or um, or a Jahan Dawson, if you can move from Teagans to one of those two players and you pick up a first, it's just a winning process. And if you are more of a rebuilding team and you are holding on to a player like T. Higgins, it could always be beneficial for you as well. It doesn't even have to be necessarily that first. If you, again, the players we've talked about, if you view Chris Godwin as kind of like a late first, if you can move off T. Higgins and you can get Chris Godwin and Jerry Judy and diversify into two assets where Judy could rise to that fringe wide receiver one mark this season. I'm not saying he will, but with the variance we said at that mark and wide receivers, he always could. And then you're picking up Chris Collins, just a solid producer, even if it doesn't work out. And you know, again, next year is probably going to be worth a late first or an early second at worst, just because I think he's a very talented player. I think those are just winning moves. Awesome. Um, where can people check you out? What's the content out there right now? Like you just said, you just did an awful lot of work for the rookie and uh, the rookie season. Um, where can people find you? What should they check out? Yeah, you can go on at JWB underscore FF on Twitter for JWB Fantasy Football for our entire page. The pinned tweet has my entire team. Wyatt and I are the co-owners of JWB. We have a team of five under us, total seven of us. Um, we have a very active Discord. Um, and it's, it's, a really, it's a really good time. So yeah, we just come, come over, chat with us, hang out. We, we were, we had a daily mock draft for like the four months leading up to the draft. So we're, we're in a little bit of a break, like take a breather and we're, we're getting focused to uh tackle redraft season and really, really turn the gears and, and go crazy. Uh, you can check 
our YouTube out, uh, JWB Fantasy Football. I, I upload like 40 player clips this week. Uh, we have our long shows, and then I like to break up every individual player that we talked about, and I keep a clips catalog, which you can, again, just go to um, – you can DM me or go on JWB. <laughs> we'll have a way to find her in the Discord, and this catalog has over 250 players in it and sorted alphabetically and then chronologically, a hyperlink to every single clip we've talked about these players. So you want to know our most recent take on Chris Godwin? Go on our catalog, click the most recent hyperlink next to his name, and boom, you get a three, four-minute clip about us talking about Chris Godwin for Dynasty. Yeah, That's awesome. Keeping track of the links and where everything is and where your opinion has moved to is one of the difficult things going on right now. If you don't have a website or a company that's doing it for you, it's like, I got... You make so much stuff. <laughs> oh, it's, trying it's, to direct everyone to it. So oh, it's, it's probably an added. It's an added like fifteen to twenty hours yep. a week of work, but it's worth it. It's worth it in my opinion. It's a really good resource. Well, we appreciate you doing it. And Scarlett came highly recommended. I asked people on Twitter for people that I should have on, and your name was one of the first to come up. I'm really appreciate you coming on, taking the time, and uh, yeah, good luck this season. Thanks very much. Thank you. Yeah, I had uh, a rocky start, but we found our groove. I had a great time. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the play, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight. Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more. Because the players ain't no older, they some hoarders or some mortars. Dropping bombs without no borders, they got that I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road. Go clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold. So Jake on the table and Nate on the plays. No, Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road. Go clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold. So Jake on the table and Nate on the plays. No, Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.